Hello, my guest this week is a developer and entrepreneur whose business Tonic Pow wants to use the key features of Bitcoin SV to fulfill some big ambitions, to onboard the world into the Bitcoin economy and to compete with the tech giants. The company has recently had a bit of a relaunch with new features opening up new prospects. So I'd like to welcome its founder, Luke Rojenes. Hi, Luke. Hey, how you doing? Very good. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Let's start at the beginning of the Tonic Pow story, which I picked up at the CoinGeek conference in Toronto, where you were one of the winners in the Bitcoin SV hackathon. And the three of you, you and your colleagues, Austin Rappaport and Attila Aros, were there. Right. How much does the Tonic Pow that we can see today, how different is it from the vision that you had back then? It's way different. Um, so the original product, you know, was very much formed around the competition, right? So the competition, the, the goal for the competition was onboarding. We had a shortlisted, you know, 20 or so different ideas because the topic wasn't really known until the last minute. And, uh, you know, we had this, this concept of having a, a display ad. Uh, on your website that was essentially like an ad store in place. You could go right there and buy uh, some time on that website in that exact spot. Um, and the image and everything was was fully on chain. But the next piece of the puzzle was, you know, you, somebody has an ad, one of these ads on their website, and somebody buys it for, you know, a day or something like that. But then most of the time they would sit vacant, waiting for somebody to see this space, waiting for somebody to buy this this particular space. And it was really a shame because you got lots of other people who want to have their ads displayed and uh, there's lots of space for people to display them. But that part wasn't happening where we're delivering ads down into these these widgets. So the next phase was what started uh, in, in Bali, which was really another feature. And this is a funny story, too, because really the pay-per-click model of all this didn't uh, was never really the focus and still in a lot of ways is not. Um, the pay-per-click model really was a, a product, again, of the circumstances in Bali. The focus... That was the uh, Cambrian was, SV boot camp right. in Bali, yeah. Right. It was uh, Focus was kind of transaction volume. And this was the first time we really thought, well, why don't we just record every click that goes through these things onto the chain? And that, you know, kind of seems excessive at first when you think about it. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Is that like, is that solved? It, it ends up solving some interesting problems with transparency and things like that. Uh, but also the concept of these real-time micropayments, it really shows off the capabilities of Bitcoin SV. It's very interesting how the agenda set by the hackathon, which was getting onboarding people, and the agenda set by Jack Liu and his colleagues uh, in, in the Cambrian event, which was generating more transactions, had an absolutely material effect on your business model as you've developed it. Yeah, I don't think it changes the big picture. So eventually, would we have done this sort of thing? Probably. Would we have focused on it as early? Possibly not. I think it ends up being a great thing because it's the it's the act of clicking and, and money moving around that way um, that kind of gets people very very interested in, in what's going on, and it's very tangible, and they can kind of see uh, 
uh, a result a, a lot more quickly than what we were really focused on, which is the downline conversions um, for a number of reasons. But what I'm really getting at is what we hope to do is not just be paying you for clicks. We hope that you share things really looking after the, the conversions. We want you to go to this website and actually buy this particular product or sign up for a thing or complete some action that takes a bit of effort. Well, let's just step back a little bit for those who are not as familiar with the product and, and the business. And now let's define our terms here. An advertiser basically is somebody who comes along and agrees that a certain amount of money can be spent on a campaign that Tonic Power is going to orchestrate for them. And then somebody like me, who's more casual involvement in the thing, uh, we call a promoter because I'm taking those ads and putting them somewhere and then getting paid when they find an audience um, who we call um, the visitor, right? Sure. For your, in terms of, yeah. So, so basically what I do is I go onto your website. I see that CoinGeek has put some money there for people to uh, use for campaigns. I copy uh, the CoinGeek ad and I put it into Twitter, for instance. And then every time somebody clicks on it, I'm getting a little bit of money. And in fact, since yesterday, I've earned $1.30 or something, which really surprised me as how much it was just for putting a link on Twitter. So, so that's your basic business model, I guess, is it? Yeah, well, I mean, right now, the way the internet kind of works and the way that it's structured is everything is sort of anonymous. And so the big downside there is uh, really just trying to determine uh, the probability that the person clicking that link is a legitimate, you know, valuable user that ought to be taking funds out of that campaign and sending it off to the promoter. And of course, there's lots of people who like to try to to try to game the system. But currently, I mean, we we receive a lot more clicks than what we actually pay out for. I think we do a really good job of of identifying and filtering out um, invalid clicks, people doing it from kind of the same the same place over and over again or trying to click their own links or all that stuff, it all doesn't actually trigger payouts. Right, because, you know, compared to click fraud that you might get on a Google ad, this is actually potentially much worse because on a Google ad, your click fraud is just making your rivals pay Google some money, whereas here it might involve me clicking on my own links and just getting money myself. So. I think people try that with Google ads too. Um, it's definitely a challenge for, for them in terms of like, um, you know, if I've got a website and I'm displaying some, some Google ads, I might be tempted to create some kind of human looking traffic. Right. As the website, website owner, you might. Yes. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Right. But how do you stop me logging out of my own Twitter account and then going onto Twitter and clicking the ad? Well, we have, um, we have the very beginnings of how we plan to deal with this in place, and it's going to get better over time. But the way we plan to do this is really with reputation uh, of yourself as a promoter. When, when you share things that start to um, look anomalous or uh, have extremely high bounce rates once they actually reach your site or any of the other indicators that the traffic is just of low quality, we can kind of rank that and maybe price it accordingly, for example. Maybe all clicks aren't the same uh, value. 
And this is why the downline conversions are actually so important. If we minimize the clicks and really care more about what happens when you get there, do you actually engage with the website? Are you a real user? Are you doing something valuable to that, that next platform that, that you uh, came onto? You know, we, we know that the traffic that came through was, it was a value. It created an outcome. And sometimes those, those things, the safest type of outcome that you could want is something that actually costs money. Come here and buy a t-shirt. Well, you can never get gamed if you're triggering payouts based on the purchase of the thing you know, versus simply a click, which is free. Right. And how, so, so that in terms of your new version of the website and so on, is that a, a new in, an innovation that you've introduced so that I can link to yeah, well, actual payments? It started. So what happens now is um, you basically have to earn your way to getting instant payouts. So when you come up and you're a new user and you don't really have much history well, hang on. When and, you talk about user, who, which party are you referring to? Yeah. So this is just a person who signs up. You haven't necessarily done anything yet. You could end up being, you know, a user can be a promoter or an advertiser. Oh, I see. Yes. Um, you know, once they are sharing something, they're a promoter. Once they're creating a campaign, they're an advertiser. And sometimes they're both at the same time. Um, yeah. So. The, the idea is, let's say it's, it's a promoter, somebody with the mentality of I'm going to come on here and share stuff and earn some money. Um, they, they come on, they sign up for an account, and there's now a sort of a gamified experience where they have to complete challenges, which take effort, take time, and they link third-party accounts like a money button, a hand cash, a Twitter. What this means is if you do something shady and it becomes obvious and your account gets paused or something or, or terminated, um, you know, you basically got to go then create new accounts at all these third party, uh, you know, sites and link them again. And it's just a whole bunch of effort to get your account back up, to earn your way through, to unlock instant payouts and then have a chance at actually scamming anybody. I mean, the, the, it seems to me like you're getting yourself into quite a complex kind of set of social relations or at least economic relations between different parties here which you've got to handle in a way that is appropriate and looking after privacy and and all that stuff it, it's quite a it, quite a complicated thing isn't it really yeah i mean complicated things can be managed with simple rules sometimes mm. so you know, simply you're not able to get instant payouts be between a certain point. Part of the, the journey to earning instant payouts means that you have to go through the manual withdrawal process, which is like actually let, gives us an opportunity to review your, your payouts to make sure that nothing is out of the ordinary and that it actually goes through. Um, but our, our goal longer term is to minimize our role in all of this. And we've said this from the beginning, we're really trying to give more tools to both parties and let them uh, come to voluntary agreements between each other. Right. And and how innovative is this? I mean, it's innovative in the world of Bitcoin SV, but outside of that, there are some uh, businesses that are in a similar sort of space to this, I guess, aren't there? Yeah, there are. And there's lots of, there's lots of similar, similar takes and different uh, products that are out there that do, um, you know, social media marketing type stuff like this. Um, you know, where we end up shining is when you start to count up the various little edges that Bitcoin gives you. Um, one is like not having to build the entire 
payment management system and reconcile all that and settle it and worry about chargebacks and all that sort of a thing. So there's a whole whole big chunk of efficiency that gets gained there. Um, the transparency that kind of comes along with having these things all on an, on an immutable ledger and you know, third parties can build software that just does tonic power analytics and have an entire company just dedicated to delivering even improved analytics on what we offer, maybe. Not to mention the obvious one, which is the simple fact that we can do micropayments. Um, you know, so there's a there's a number of little things that really do add up and give us an edge. And it's just a better it's just a better place to build something like this. Well, also I think it's a brilliant uh, concept because it's drawing people into the Bitcoin economy who don't even need to know that they're part of it somehow. And, and you yeah. know, you might, you might just start off by being um, a, a visitor and then you become a promoter and then you become an advertiser and you sure. will come closer and closer to the center of the circle and probably more and more aware or interested in how this all works, which is through Bitcoin SV. But um, it's it's perfect in that, in that it draws people in. That's that that was the on- onboarding side of it, I guess. Right, and you know, one of the big things for us is you know you can create an account and actually start getting ESV without technically without ever even having a wallet, and you don't even need to know what a wallet is. You just sign up for a website and start sharing some links, and you're earning money. Um, we're basically holding a wallet for you at that point, and then you could add a payout address later. Oh, right. So you don't even need to have a money button or anything set up. No. That's interesting. But yeah, yeah, so then you just build up credit with Tonic Power. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, we have an opportunity to to check it out and make sure that it all looks looks legit. But in general, it's very easy to see. I mean, when when we look at something that is legit, there's there's common there's common patterns. I, I saw one interview where you, you talked about um, going after the tech giants with Tonic Power as it develops. Uh, I wonder whether you could just say something about how, I think you, you, you use the phrase by using the network effect of the shared database of the BSV blockchain. So just can you just sort of explain that to me? How, what did you, how's that going to work? So... You know, it might be an easier example to think of even a different type of product when you think about this effect that I'm that I'm describing with the with the network effect. But you know, there's one major untapped uh, piece of potential that lies in Bitcoin that hasn't really been um, pushed uh, much at all yet, and that is this: the idea of these open of open protocols that are universally used by many companies. And one where one place you might imagine this is in a social network or something where you have a universal set of rules for what the data structure is like for a post, for a like, for a follow, for all of these various elements that make up the social network. And, you know, if I created a regular social network like a Facebook clone tomorrow, there's basically a zero percent chance that I can succeed because, you know, it's the. You know, the I don't know if there's a name for this, but like the the crowded bar dilemma, right? Like where, you know, everybody wants to go to the most happening bar, but like if it's empty, nobody goes in. And like, how do you get, you know, one step to lead to the other to lead to the ultimate result? But that is the network effect, really, isn't it? I think. Right. You have to have the most popular bar in town to kind of draw the. No one's one's ever wants to be the first person into an empty restaurant. 
Right, right, exactly. But now with shared protocols, you have a very different effect. You have this effect where I've got my little site, but I'm reading all of this other data from all these other applications and ingesting them in. So to a visitor, they look, this looks like a full bar, right? This looks like lots of people are commenting and acting, but really I just launched this website today. But there's all this activity going on. on um, just, just so I understand, where do, so where is all that coming from? You're sort of grabbing oh, the, that off the blockchain by other websites having gathered that content? or Yeah, it's this concept of like cooperation, right? So these are actually competitors, mm. right, that are, that are providing all of this data. My interface shows all of the competitor data, but also shows kind of where it came from. And you can click and go visit so, that other So interface. if I write something on Twitch, it might be picked up by... Yeah, so a good, simple example of exactly that is that other site, BitSurf, which is basically a read-only Twitch client, which is reading Twitch's data. You know, I'm not sure if they're using their API, but the point is you could be reading this directly from monitoring the, the blockchain itself, hmm. seeing, hey, this looks like a Twitch type of transaction, ingesting that into your own ba- database, having your own user interface. But it goes a little further um, when you get all these sites that mutually agree to cooperate on contributing as well, which is what we haven't quite seen yet. So when you have, you know, a dozen different websites that all are a slightly different interface, you know, one looks a lot like Twitter, which is more of a Twitch type of thing. Another, um, you know, styled slightly different, has a little bit more of the way that Powping works or, or, you know, Relica or any of these other different versions that have different styles of user interface, they could all be using the same underlying data structure and protocols. And, and you know, you could see stuff posted on Relica in this one and, and vice versa, and they all. And so what that ends up doing is that although one website could be very small, you're multiplying the audience and the, the amount of participation, the amount of people that are in there by, by the number of clients. And so that's what I mean by the shared network effect. And that you don't have to be the mega giant to compete with the mega giant. You just have to be a participant in a mutually beneficial uh, cooperation scenario. But how does this specifically relate to Tonic Power as opposed to just social networks on Bitcoin SV or whatever? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine something like Tonic Power evolving into an open protocol where we are just one of many user interfaces where people could find campaigns that they want to share or or add new campaigns to the network. Um, we would be one of many potential link processors where others might process the actual, um, you know, short link, click, determine if it's a bot or not. And then there's a market effect around like, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an advertiser. I'm going to choose which one of these providers that's going to do a better job of keeping my funds safe and not allowing, you know, click fraud, or they have a really good process for, for vetting people who come in, or maybe these guys don't even do clicks over here. They only do the conversions or, you know, whatever. Do you then at some point, as this develops, have to make a a business decision about whether it's more profitable for Tonic Power to share some of these protocols that you've developed, as opposed to keeping them to yourself exclusively? Because there are advantages in both directions, I guess, really. Yeah, completely. I mean, at some point, um, you know, our product right now finally is in a place where it feels very good to use and is a, is a good user experience. And so, you know, that is really, I'm very excited about this whole possibility because that's really where the focus becomes in the future. You know, these apps end up really competing and it's more about how good of a job do you do 
making the users of your product, you know, enjoy it. And the and, and the, the competition between the clients it actually becomes very user centric. Like you really want to make sure that the user has, has a great experience because it's harder for them. It's sorry, it's very easy for them to pack up and leave and go to a competitor. Whereas with these existing models right now, they can kind of keep you in because, you know, in the case of Facebook, you know, how else are you going to keep in touch with your family, right? If these sort of rival businesses developed, even sharing the protocols, like you're saying, then wouldn't there be a danger for you that I would go to a rival because I was going to get paid a little bit more for the successful promotions that I'd made? And then, then we'd be sort of you'd all be undercutting each other and maybe there wouldn't sure. be any profits left. It's totally true. And I think that is an effect that Bitcoin can have on many industries. Um, you know, and it, it it's, it's definitely a balancing act and it's also uh, uncharted territory in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of things that we don't quite know about what's the right move to make and when. Um, but think of the alternative danger, right? If you don't do it, and a, and a distributed protocol emerges to do exactly what your business does. Right. And everyone starts hopping on that. All of a sudden, their combined network effect, even if you're the front runner, is starting to become outpaced by this new, uh, this new network that does something very similar. You've got, to, you've got to disrupt yourself before someone else does that's it. Absolutely yeah, that, right. that's and that's true for basically anybody building these kinds of businesses on, on, on Bitcoin. There's still plenty of room to optimize existing stuff. Hmm. Um, and there's plenty of of runway for business models to exist without that necessarily happening because we don't all need to be competing over the same industry yet at all. There's so many different things that haven't been done yet. Talking about just, you know, going for the tech giants, I mean, is there a way that you can see your advertising model with BSV actually working on Google or on Facebook or Twitter? Or are you only talking about providing a whole alternative environment? Um, I mean, there's, it's probably, it's probably a mixed bag. I mean, there's certain things, um, that, that would probably plug in, uh, quite nicely. And I think at some point, if, if, if there was such a, such an open protocol, a lot of these companies would probably adopt it and integrate that it where possible into their products. Um, un unless it was just sort of a, a significant threat do like their core model and they, and they really just sort of refuse as a strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's hard to say what will, what will ultimately happen. I think some of the big players will, will resist it. Others who maybe are not at the top of the ladder are a little bit more inclined to kind of embrace and jump on board. But I'm wondering if, if you could sit down with the advertising manager of Google or something, and they said, well, you know, what have you got to offer us, Luke? Because we're, it's an open door. We've got a blank sheet of paper. We'll, we'll maybe switch, make a dramatic switch to a Bitcoin SV-based system. Is, do you have something in mind that would, would well, work imagine. for them rather than just for what we're calling the visitors? Yeah, sure. I mean, say that they, they wanted to do a similar type of a setup, and we're talking about this kind of open protocol environment. They could set up their own sort of similar service but the interesting part is because they have all this this volume and all this attention we could also be now offering so many more campaigns to our existing customers so it would still benefit us in terms of like 
we are now able to offer you more and there's more possibilities as a promoter of tonic palette you're going to get paid and this could potentially uh you know just expand expand everything it's that same network effect i was just reading something um in the economist this week actually about how apple is introducing um an app tracking transparency tool on ios and the the idea of of that is that you can opt out of data being collected and it's a privacy uh related kind of tool uh facebook's very unhappy about it um uh, you know and its justification for being unhappy is that it's bad for small businesses who you know benefit from some of this information and also saying that apple is trying to shift to a paid model for the internet and i'm wondering whether actually advertising is not where you want to be these days because actually maybe maybe that is the trend overall that people are going to be paying rather than rather than being paid for by advertisers yeah i th- that's totally true in in some respects but let me give you some examples of how we would how we plan to kind of deal with this a little bit. So, you know, one thing is we make a certain percentage, you know, a small percentage every time that there's these payments going around. Um, we do plan to introduce something uh, at some point in the near future where if you are a platform owner and people are sharing Tonic Pow links on your platform, you can basically simply opt in and receive a small payout as your, you know, at, for being a, a part of this whole thing. And this basically just helps to align the incentives and make sure that they don't do something silly like we see everywhere lately, which is like just outright ban or block whatever service is competing with, with your, your basic model. But I, I want to go back to something you said, because I think it's a really important point. These, in all of this existing ad model stuff all revolves around knowing everything about you very intimately. And that is all held in one very central place. What Tonic Pow does is breaks that all up completely so that it's the individual promoter who needs to know a little bit about the, the, the visitor, right, where, where the source of the traffic is coming from. They have an audience. The reason they have the audience is because those people followed them for their views, the things that they share, their attitudes, their, you know, their, their beliefs, et cetera. And so there's a self-selection that's kind of happening there where I don't need to target you specifically and track you specifically. It's it's sort of passive and inherent mm. because a promoter is voluntarily choosing a campaign that that's suited to them and they think suited to their audience. They've already done the targeting, but without ever spying on anybody. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, so the advertiser has voluntarily given up some control stroke information that they have under the current system because it's entirely in the interests of the promoter to do what the advertiser wants, really, I suppose. Oh, yeah, it's really about aligning incentives. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just amazing that, that we can do that, that we can take this entirely, like, really bad element that really nobody likes. I mean, I think the ad industry has got to be, like, the most hated, <laughs> the most hated industry out there. I mean, people just well, really... There's real estate agents yeah. as well and journalists. that's true that's true you know but people really you know ad blindness is a real thing for a reason people will look right past them just on purpose 
um, it's very, very different experience when you see a recommendation from a person that you follow mm. um, than a promoted thing that comes in from a company that you know you don't follow that just gets sort of forced into your feed. And you also get kind of creeped out. I had the weirdest thing today. This morning is my daughter's birthday. And uh, I went to Dunkin' Donuts and they have these nice little uh, heart-shaped uh, donuts that she she wanted one of those. So I went and got her one of those this morning. and. I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I don't know how, but like I came back, I opened up Twitter and there was an ad for Dunkin' Donuts heart-shaped donuts on oh my, my, my feet this morning. I can't imagine. I, I don't know if it came from a microphone. I don't know exactly how it got there or it's just a coincidence. But the fact mm. that that happened and the fact that we know that they do really tightly track information, it really doesn't sit well with people. They don't like it. Mm-hmm. Although you're on dangerously similar territory that Facebook was on here when Facebook had I can't remember what it was called but they had a thing where if your friend liked something then uh, an ad would I think it was called sponsored products or something an ad would pop up in in your feed saying you know uh, Luke likes Coca-Cola or something and you know the users were very very upset about that I mean you're potentially, this could be dangerous because people that I'm sort of interacting with and trusting and liking, I'm then finding are being paid to show me stuff or whatever, or to lead me in a certain direction. Yeah, I, I think that all comes from this mentality that nobody should get paid from create, that, that the stuff on the internet is valueless and nobody should get paid for any of this. If I'm giving a genuine recommendation for a company who really wants new users and my audience actually likes this there's no reason that i shouldn't be able to earn a little bit of money but i might just be doing it to earn the money and i wouldn't really care whether sure sure but but again this is sort of a self-solving issue right if you abuse your power right um you and you abuse your audience they will leave you (laughs) yes yes and so if you just shove ads in their face like you were facebook or twitter um they're just going to unfollow you Mm. Yeah. I mean, and uh, the thing that I like about this is that it it's in some sense sort of brings us back to the early days of the internet, where um, an individual user was the sort of center of the system, and you had your MySpace page or your own website that you built and stuff, and yeah. then we weren't just sort of little cogs in a huge machine. Uh, and, and hopefully the, the, the micropayments and the, the kind of granularity that you, that you can achieve through the blockchain brings us back in that direction a bit as well. Do you think, do you think there's something in that? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And I certainly hope so. Um, you know, you can imagine this for so many different uh, cases, like things things like eBay where, where we have the auctions or whatever, but everything has to kind of go through eBay. There's, there's so many interesting ways to sort of minimize eBay's role. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe you still have arbitration services for disputes that eBay can provide or, or really great user interface and they can still tax the creation of campaigns or, uh, or, you know, uh, auctions and things because they have the best user interface for it. Right. And people would just choose to use that one and pay a little bit uh, for the service, whether it's monthly or whether they pay to create the thing or however it works. But but the bottom line is it gets much more competitive. I mean, you, you can't just sit back 
on your network effect. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned eBay because that was a business that didn't require much venture capital because it was making profits really from day one. And, right. you know, what's impressive about what you're doing, I think, is that you've got a business that is working and earning money the whole time, right from the, the day that it opened. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's an incredible achievement, I think. I'm guessing that your background is on the technical side rather than the business side of entrepreneurship. Is that right? Well, I've, I've definitely dabbled in, in, in both. I had a I was part of, of like an organic mushroom farm at, at one point in time where we grew mushrooms and sold them to, uh, you know, to local uh, chefs and, and restaurants and, and things like that. And I've I've had various types of businesses probably since. Um, well, technically, technically, I've had businesses since before I had working papers when I was 15 that said I oh, could actually right. go. Did you have the the. the lemonade stand outside the on the front gate or <laughs> i sold i sold candy at my locker in school uh i sold uh i sold like um you know compilation like cds and stuff for people when i was young and this is before like before i had any knowledge of what copyright meant or like any of the stuff i just have no clue and i'm like burning right. cds and like selling them to friends you know so i did all that stuff um you know i had a uh, a t-shirt company where i sold uh sold various different types of t-shirts to people i had a i had a a music website when i was i think 14 um that was actually it was you know got a lot of traffic and i basically made money off of putting ads on that website i mean i have thousands of visitors every day and things and that was i had to beg my mom to get a domain name because i couldn't get it on my own and there were 70 dollars back then i remember that um but yeah i've always been very entrepreneurial um in in spirit uh but you know so yeah i've learned a lot along the way and and made a lot of mistakes that are going to help me on, on this journey um but it's really that the process is something I absolutely love. I mean, I'm very, very blessed and lucky to be uh, where I am doing this and, you know, waking up and working on this stuff every day. It's just. But I mean, I, that's I, amazing I, that you can be as comfortable with the business end of things as the with the technology and the software development. I mean, that's a pretty great combination for where you are. Well, well that's that's only just, you know, what I bring my business partner, Austin. Um, He's, he, you know, he, he's been involved in starting uh, successful companies in the past. He's one of the co-founders of a company called Delivery Dudes, which is a uh, a food delivery company that's still still here doing great in uh, in South Florida. And, hmm. uh, you know, he's a big part of uh, building that. I just wanted to ask, what about the name? Where did the name come from? And <laughs> I don't know, it's just it's a weird name. <laughs> it's, a, it's a super weird name. It's it's kind of intentional that that way. Um, you know, part of it is just, uh, you know, a personal, a personal thing. Like I, I have a certain affection for, you know, like old, like, uh, you know, RPGs and stuff. And the, the idea of like this, the, the whole potion thing right? and, and all that kind of got worked in. And that's really just paying homage to, to some of that stuff, which is just more fun than anything. But, you know, it's more about the fact that if you type in Tonic Pow into any search engine or anything, you're going to find us, not yeah. something else. 
you're also not going to easily kind of forget the name. I think people thought Google was a super weird name and Yahoo was a super weird name. Hmm. Um, and some of the things that are just uh, totally, you know, normal to us now. Um, and yeah, Tonic Pal is definitely, definitely not a, not a typical name. But well, I know that the, when, you, when Google picked their name, they were looking for a name with um, two vowel sounds together in it. They wanted it like Yahoo. Um, and you've got two O's, not together, but you've got two O's in Tonic Power. So I think that could be a really good thing as well. Well, the other big one was that Power's Power's proof of work. So it was a nice, oh, right, yeah, nice homage to uh, to Bitcoin right there as well. Uh, <laughs> well, look, really good luck with it, Luke, and thank you so much for for talking to me about it today. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks. A lot. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Bye now. Bye. Thanks very much to Luke Rehenes. And if you haven't tried Tonic Pow, do give it a go. It's very straightforward and you can earn some money. If you wouldn't mind liking or sharing or subscribing to this podcast, that would be very much appreciated and would help us a lot. Please join me again next week for another CoinGeek conversation. But till then, from me, Charles Miller, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.